This morning's reading can be paid, found on page 1010. It's Mark chapter 7, reading from verse 24 to chapter 8, verse 10. 1010. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his present secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon from her daughter. First let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then, he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed, and the demon had gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee, into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took them aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spat and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh he said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the, the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. Having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalumantha. This is the word of God. So, Jesus is um, really, you could say, Jesus has gone on holiday. I mean, he's left Israel and he's gone to what today we would call Lebanon. But I think you'd have to probably call it a sort of holiday Bible week because his purpose is that um, he wants to sort of spend an intensive time with the Twelve because um, although he's been uh, 
performing miracles, he's been giving explanations, he's been dropping enormous great hints as to kind of who he is. They haven't quite sussed it yet, so he figures time out, away from the crowds, because he's kind of attracted an enormous amount of attention, so let's go to the seaside, let's go to another country. So he goes to Tyre, which is on the Lebanese coast, that's where he goes. He thinks he can have some kind of rest and relaxation and with a bit of input, they'll suss him out. So we have today three episodes. One is from uh, the, the area around Tyre. We have the incident of the Syrophoenician woman. Syrophoenicia is what they called that part of the world in those days. Today we call it the Lebanon, so we could call her the Lebanese lady. And then he uh, moves to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, that little strip of land was not counted as being in Israel. And that's also where he uh, performed this uh, miracle of feeding the 4,000 men. So three episodes let's, and three miracles. But still we discover that the disciples don't quite yet understand who Jesus is. And uh, opposition doubtless continues from those who oppose and criticize Jesus. It's not until his next trip up to the very north, to the area of Caesarea Philippi, just below Mount Hermon, that uh, Peter begins to understand who Jesus is. And Jesus is able to then move on from teaching them the second lesson. The first is who he is, and the second is what he's come to do. So, First of all, the Lebanese lady, Tyre, is a Roman city, and Jesus hoped that by going there, where he'd never been before, which was outside of the boundaries of Israel, that he could uh, have a low profile. He hoped that uh, he could uh, just go around anonymously. But his fame had spread, and he couldn't keep his presence quiet. He wanted time away, as I said, to teach his disciples one-on-one -on -one because they hadn't yet understood who he was. And so where better to go than out the country to a place like Tyre? Again, there is a problem that nobody can solve. No one has been able to deal with. There is this young girl who is possessed by an unclean or evil spirit. Her mother was Greek, we're told. Um, she was born, though, in Syrophoenicia. She is, we would call, Lebanese. She's not Jewish, and she's not living in Israel. That's the important bit to remember in understanding the significance of this miracle. And it's particularly interesting that um, these episodes are recorded in Mark's Gospel because it's thought that Mark was particularly writing his Gospel for the benefit of Gentiles, so what will Jesus, who is the Messiah to the Jews, what will be his response to this appeal from this Gentile woman in Gentile territory? He's on retreat. He's at a conference, if you like, with the Twelve. How will he respond to this Gentile woman's interruption? Well, she's desperate. She has heard of Jesus. I mean, although it's another country, as you probably realise when you see the maps of the Middle East when there's conflicts, 
you're only talking sort of, uh, you know, 10, 50 miles away. And, uh, you know, you can see these things. You could stand on the top of the Galan Heights and you can see Damascus. You can doubtless stand on the border between Lebanon and Israel today and you can see where Tyre is. They're very close together. And so it isn't, in one sense, surprising that this stir that Jesus has caused has reached just a few miles away, albeit across international borders. Well, she's heard of Jesus, and she believes that he can do what no one else can do, which is liberate this poor girl from an evil spirit. And she pleads with Jesus. She, in fact, falls down, you know, face down prostrate before him. And she's 25, and she begs him, 26. It's difficult to be more humble and trusting in your body language than to do that. Now, what's Jesus' response, 27, going to be? It doesn't sound very promising. In fact, it sounds rather rude, if not racist, doesn't it? First, he says, let the children, by which he means the Jews, the children of Israel eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Dogs was how Jews referred to Gentiles. That's not the response she's looking for, is it? We know, though, of course, that Jesus was no racist. We know from later parts of the Gospels that a Roman centurion found place amongst the people of God, as did that Samaritan woman. People from different racial and religious groups we know are included. But in his earthly ministry, then, as opposed to his heavenly ministry now, his prime target were the covenant people of God, the Jews. Nevertheless, he crosses paths with uh, Gentiles and he shows by his action that they too are able to enter into the people of God. And so he is testing her and she passes this test. She knows she's a Gentile. She knows no one's appeared like this man, Jesus. She's prepared to recognise that she's not his current target market but she knows he can and will help her. Yes, Lord, she says, verse 28, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She's happy for the Jewish leftovers. Now, Jesus is pleased with that response. Presumably, that's why we say at communion services, we are not worthy so much as to gather the crumbs under your table but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord. Well, the Pharisees had all the advantages of having been born among the people of God. But when it came to recognising Jesus, they either could not or would not see who he was. It's probably could not, because they would not. Their pride was an obstacle. That their pride would not allow them to recognise that Jesus was God, the Messiah, amongst them. 
And because their pride prevented them, they couldn't get beyond that. They couldn't see. They couldn't understand. But she had no such obstacle. She saw clearly. Why? Because she was humble. She realized she had no claim on the promises of care made by God to his people, the people of Israel. But she still believed that the true God was no ethnic deity, that he was the God of all people. Remember, that's why he called Abraham back in Genesis 12 to form a people of God, not just for their benefit, but to reach all the nations of the world. It's just that he initially started with one ethnic group with a view to including all ethnic groups. So through humble recognition of Jesus and trust in his ability, her daughter was liberated from the power of evil over her life. She was restored, just as Jesus said she would be. He said, the demon has left your daughter, and she went home and found that it had. As always, Jesus kept his word. Then, 31 to 37, we have the incident of the deaf and the dumb person. Jesus leaves the Lebanon, and he goes across the Huela Valley, down the, past the Sea of Galilee, and uh, on the eastern side of it, uh, again in Gentile territory. And again, presumably wanting to spend a period of quiet teaching the Twelve. But yet again, in Gentile territory, the Twelve will learn that Jesus' mission and their future mission is not just to their own people, the Jews, but to the world. To capitalists simply means ten cities. Some of those cities exist today, like Damascus and Amman, while others like Bethshan are amongst the most impressive 2,000-year-old ruins you're ever likely to see. And again, as this deaf and dumb man is brought to Jesus, we have the implication that people thought Jesus could do what nobody else could do. The man is deaf, and like so many deaf people, since they can't hear words said, <coughs> they can't speak clearly. You need to be able to hear clearly before you're able to speak clearly. So Jesus, 33, took the man to one side, put his fingers in the man's ear, spat and touched the man's tongue, looked to heaven and cried, Ephesa, be opened. And then what is significant, his ears were opened, he heard clearly, and so was able to speak plainly. And they're astonished and promptly disobey Jesus by telling everyone when he particularly wanted to play everything down. He wanted to keep a low profile so he could have time to teach the Twelve. But it was not to be. They were astonished. They could not keep their mouths shut. And their comments, he has done everything well, echo the creative power of God in Genesis 1, where it says, 
and God created, and it was good. In other words, a big clue. Who the heck can do these things? It must come from God. And they say, he even makes the deaf and the dumb hear. That's an echo of Isaiah 35, 4 and 6, where it's promised that this is exactly what the Messiah, when he comes, will do. But they probably, at that moment, hadn't realised quite what they'd witnessed. And then, still, the third episode, still on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, we have the feeding of the 4,000 men. Now, this is different from the feeding of the 5,000 men. That took place, the feeding of the 5,000 men, plus however many women and children. That took place on the northwestern corner of the Sea of Galilee. There, there were five loaves and two fishes with 12 baskets of leftovers, the 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And... Jesus' guests were Jews. Here, on the eastern side of the lake, he is outside of Israel. Here, those who are picnicking are probably a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, with probably the Gentiles predominating. And here there are seven loaves and a few fish, and there are seven baskets left over. So two completely different events, although with certain similarities. Again, Jesus is able to do what no one else can do, which is to create out of nothing. Where in this remote place, they say, 8-4, can anyone get enough food to feed them? What is impossible for anyone else is not impossible for the creator of the universe living in his creation as the person of Jesus. And yet the disciples had so uh, quickly forgotten the earlier feeding of the 5,000. It's so easy to forget the spiritual lessons that we learn. So it's important to therefore apply these three events and their significance to our lives, three episodes that took place in Gentile territory to Gentiles like us. The first lesson is that Jesus has come to liberate us from the power of evil. In one sense, all human beings live in spiritual darkness. We require spiritual illumination. We settle for the familiar and the shallow we allow ignorance and prejudice to satisfy our curiosity and our inner restlessness. It's through this means and others that the devil ensures that we continue in our imprisonment. And there we stay, unless we see something better, or someone better, Jesus Christ. And we say, only he, can illuminate me out of darkness. Only he can free me from what I've allowed myself to be trapped in. Only he can give me new life, a life that I had a hunch was there, 
but until I saw Jesus, I couldn't see what it was like. And how do I access it? Well, by being humble, like this Lebanese lady was, by trusting that Jesus can deliver, by trusting that he can free us like nobody else can. Believing he can do it and asking him to do it. And then he does it. Well, the second lesson is that we need to hear clearly before we can speak clearly. Many of us know we need to engage our brains before we speak because we have that experience of having put our foot in it too many times and then digging a bigger hole to get out of it. Well, on the bigger questions of life, worldview and lifestyle, we'll only talk sense, we'll only be truthful and wise if before we speak, we hear from God. It's so vital to get his message, the Bible, into our head before we try speaking about the truth of the Christian worldview, the truth of the Christian lifestyle. If we don't allow his take to fashion our thinking, we will talk rubbish. The third lesson, and what's it all for? Where are we heading? The highlight of the Middle East and life was the feast. When all the hard work of harvest had been done, when everything had been gathered in, they were then able to celebrate by having a feast which would probably last quite a few days. It was the highlight of their year. That's why they had these festivals. They had more than one harvest a year, fortunately because of their climate. And it's not surprising then that Jesus uses the image of the feast or the banquet to convey our final destiny. He will sit down and feast with us. The Messiah was expected to do just that when he came. And Jesus does it here at his first coming to give a dirty great big hint as to who he is and give a kind of foretaste of what he's going to do at his second coming. And here the feast embraces the Gentiles as well. It was an enormous hint as to who he was, and what he'd come to do ultimately at the end of time. But we know, of course, there is more to come. The world will not end with a bang or a whimper. It will end with a parting. The invites have already gone out. If you turn down the invitation, or if you just don't get round to responding to it, then, of course, you'll miss out on the great banquet, the great feast at the end of time. But if we've replied, if we'd accepted the invitation, we know from past experience that Jesus will keep his word, that he will deliver. He put on the most fantastic spread, It won't just last for one night or even a week. It will last forever. 
which is why someone once said, the best is yet to be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these three episodes that focus on people like us, Gentiles. And we thank you for Jesus' clarity, that he's freeing us from one world so that we can be in his world. We thank you that uh, we can understand life because we have his take on life. And we thank you that he has issued this invitation, which if we humbly accept and respond to, then he includes us in his feast forever, in the new heaven and the new earth. We pray that we may not mislay this invitation. We pray we may not just kind of put off replying to it. We pray that we might reply and so have the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Amen.